Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Top of the List. I am your co-host Dom with my other co-host RB. Say what's up RB. What is up everybody? And welcome back to an episode where we're going to continue talking about the top of the list. We have another series. I know that um, when we first started Top of the List, RB, one of the things we always like to do was talk about franchises, right? Mm-hmm. We've reviewed Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter. Those are just the first ones that come off the top of my head. Well, now we finally get a chance to talk about the Hunger Games franchise, which I'm not sure we've ever really talked about that much before, besides maybe just a few references in some other episodes. So yeah, yeah. Um, we have a new movie that is a prequel to the, to the four movies that have uh, previously come out in the years past. This is a review of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So um, if you guys haven't checked it out, RB and I, spoiler alert, we love this one. So we're going to recommend you guys go and check this one out. Come on back and then uh, we'll talk about all the details about why it's so awesome so i'm very excited to talk about this new hunger games film rb so i I guess i have a question for you rb i want to hear your feedback here should we talk about the series as a whole should we just talk about this film what do we do here i I think we'd be remiss in not discussing the series first Um, i think we should dive in to some of our impressions because uh you know this uh definitely has a lot to do with filmmaking and I think why right. we like this one so much and a comparison to what we loved and didn't love about the original franchise. So I think yeah. uh, we should definitely discuss what our impressions are on this series. Of course, this is the, the fifth installment of this film series. And honestly, I certainly hope it is not the last because um, I think there are definitely more stories to be told in this Hunger Games universe. Quite frankly, when this trailer first came out, um, I did not realize that it was a backstory, spoiler alert, again, to um, to President Snow and right. his story. When I saw the young blonde person and a Hunger Games prequel, I thought it was going to be the story of, um, of Hamish and his time in the Hunger Games, which, again, I still think could be an awesome, awesome another installment of this film depending on what Suzanne Collins of course the author of the book the direction she goes um, I believe this was as well a book this was her first venture into the Hunger Games uh, franchise writing without Katniss Everdeen as our main character and um, yeah I think there are definitely more stories to be uh, explored I mean obviously we get the introduction of all these great characters in Catching Fire in previous champions and i don't see any reason why we couldn't get a backstory a film and or book about all of them um and their time in the hunger games because i think and this will be my you know original impression on all the hunger games films the films that did not feature a games fell flat to me the first two films were excellent i wasn't crazy about mockingjay part one or two because they did not truly involve the Hunger Games. They were in the universe, but it was mm. post the games. And then with this, we come right back into our breadbasket. We get a Hunger Games in a more um, diminutive fashion. Let's use that word. You know, the Hunger Games <laughs> in the past, before they had as much technology as we see in the Katniss Everdeen Hunger Games. Obviously, this being 70 years prior to the events of the Hunger Games series. Absolutely, yeah. And I think. That's one thing I want to start off by talking about here, RB. Um, you know, we've, we've touched on I think we feel kind of similarly about the series as a whole. Um, 
one thing uh, from the old series that I do want to talk about that was, I think, one of the coolest standouts was the fact that we have this primitive-like society where they literally have some sort of, like, it's almost like a gladiatorial contest to, you know, kill mm. it off the weakest of the populations, right? Like our tributed volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like this primitive ritual in a futuristic kind of future technology society. I mean, for Pete's sakes, one of the coolest things on the uh, in the original films and in the books is the the train that they use to travel across this this huge yeah. high speed monorail with you know all these great cars that they transport them on and then of course how about the training area one of the most memorable scenes yeah. from the first film right um seeing all the equipment there them getting to choose different things uh different yeah. excuse me different weaponry right to choose from there how about just the stark contrast between the districts and the capital that we see right. i mean visually even the way the cinematography is you know we we see it you know it's always a a, a darker filter everything in the in the in the districts are always dark and clouded over. And then we get to these huge shots of the Capitol, you know, when we're seeing our tributes and they're these bright sunshine, you know, well lit scenes. I mean, definitely the contrast there is pretty impressive to see. Yeah. And, and I like the way that the, the more affluent Capitol is kind of like a parody of our society in a lot of ways. Whereas the district is kind of also like, you know, talking about what could happen to the lower class, like, it's it's a very interesting tale in that way, and um, you well, know, it's it's amazing. I don't know if you've seen, and I think this comes from the books. The maps is it is the United States. It is a post-apocalyptic, post-nuclear right. war, whatever you want to call it, version of the United States. Each district is a different area. Obviously, mm-hmm. District Twelve is a coal mining territory, and you look at the map, that would be where like West Virginia and the Ozarks are, and. And uh, and Appalachia and, you know, where these coal mines are, you know, some of these Mm. other district district, uh, I want to say two where, you know, they have all the hydroelectric dams and whatnot. That's all, you know, up by the Hudson River. And, you know, it's 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 amazing to to see all of that and how much thought went into this by by uh, Susan Collins. Yeah. So, like, that was one of the coolest parts of this was seeing all that contrast between the districts, seeing that in the capital and um that's what kind of drove me to be interested immediately after, when I was watching this new film to see how, how are they going to show us 70 years before all of this? And yeah. wow, did yeah. they do quite the fantastic job here. What, what they created in this, in this new film, uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is something so cool visually. It is like 1950s, 60s, melded with futuristic technology in lots of different ways. Things things don't always work kind of like the drones <laughs> as we see yep, in the movie yep, yep. um and i just think it's really cool like all the all the um old school kind of clothing melded together with like you said post-apocalyptic and a little bit of futuristic as well as just I, I think that they did a great job uh building this world in this new film as well absolutely and with that i think they uh they do an excellent job in showing us a different society than what we right. saw in uh, in the original film. The original films, uh, you know, it's it's a spectacle, mm-hmm. and that it, that's kind of what the root of this film is. Is how the Hunger Games turned from you know this is the hung, this is the fourth installment of the Hunger Games, if I'm not mistaken, in the film. I think it's the and tenth. What, oh, the tenth. I, I apologize. The tenth. Yeah. And what occurs in this? is people are starting, I think, at this time to forget 
the uprising, the districts. And there's a, an older generation in this film that still feels animosity towards the districts who are rising up against the capital. And there's a younger generation that wants to be rid of it. It's a very different... It's We sit and watch the original Hunger Games films and we say, how can these... These people just see it as a spectacle, as if yeah. you know you or I are watching a baseball game, watching yeah. teenagers murder each other. It's um, more of a game show in the original film, right? Correct. And in this, it is what we think it should be, as right. a more heavy social issue. And yeah. I love how that's handled. It becomes a political drama in this film, how it's handled the older generation uh, who – you know, remember the times of war and the younger generation who are rebelling and saying this isn't right. But right. we see how that is combated by making it a spectacle, making it the predecessor of what we see in the later films, in the 74th and 75th Hunger Games that we see in uh, the Hunger Games and then in Catching Fire. Yeah, and in, in those uh, first Hunger Games movies, I always thought when watching it, like, wow, this is eerily similar to watching something like American Idol or, you know, um, you know, X Factor or stuff like that where so they're really building a character around someone, you know, like that is, you know, just a regular person that oh, has an with, amazing ability. Without a doubt. How about the, you know, even up to the point, and we see it at the beginning here, the original idea is brought by, by Snow, you mm-hmm. know, of providing aid to people. It's very right. similar to what we see today, like you said, American Idol, where you know, it's not the judges who decide. You text in your vote on who you yeah. want to see win. You know, it's it's a perfect allegory. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we get in deeply into uh, any of the story details, I think we should just broadly talk about um, we talked about the world a little bit here. Um, one of my one of the best scenes in the film, I think, is the, actually the first scene of this film. And I, I wanted to backtrace to this one specifically because, I mean, my gosh, this opening scene with a young Snow and a young Tigress, which is his cousin, as he describes in the film, yep. um, literally walking across the street and seeing a guy chop someone up. So then they say, oh, why is he doing that? Oh, he's really hungry. So it's like he's going to eat yep. someone. Like right away, they went with really super dark and that was a very shocking moment to me I think it set the tone for the whole rest of this film this chilling opening yeah very much so couldn't agree more with you almost wanted more of this again yeah, right. if I had to say and as we said we, we loved this film why I think this is an amazing movie is because it was two and a half hours in runtime, and I left wanting more you know I wasn't mm. a lot of movies you get that runtime, and you're like okay you know time to get out time to you know, head home, get to bed. This one, you know, kept me entertained throughout. And from start to finish, we're on the edge of our seat with amazing scenes like this. But I wanted more. I wanted to see even more of, you know, the uprising prior to the Hunger Games. What sparked so much animosity between right. the capital and the districts to want to take children from each district and have them killed. Right. And, and we learn a little bit about, about um, the origin of the Hunger Games towards the end of this film. We learn most of the truth of uh, who who actually invented the Hunger Games and stuff yep. like that, and um, but let's let's talk about uh, a couple things. Let's talk about the way this film did something that I think is really special. First of all, and that's with our main character. Um, not many films RB can get you to root for someone you know is the bad guy, 
and that's exactly what this film did for the it's almost its entire runtime. Uh, Coriolanus Snow is our main character, and dare I say, at the beginning of this film, you genuinely feel bad for him. You actually care about this guy, no matter what you know about who he'll become later in the Hunger Games films. They did a fantastic job of right at the beginning of this film. You're on his side and you're rooting for him. He's the guy is starving. You know, he's living with his grandma and his cousin, and they can't even spare any food. Um, you know, he, he has to hold up his image that he's still, you know, uh, a wealthy snow. There, there's a lot of character here, and um, I think that our, our lead in this one, being the antagonist of the first four films, was such a cool choice to have here, and I think it works out really well. Absolutely. Dare I say a Michael Corleone-esque evolution of character. You know, a character who we begin, you know, in love with, rooting for, our protagonist, and seeing the way the character develops and slowly throughout the film begins to turn is incredible. Again, that's what I liken it to. And I, I will tell you time and time again, you know, outside of maybe Pulp Fiction and Empire Strikes Back, The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two two of my favorite all-time films. And so that's given it high praise that we say that. And I think Tom Blythe was perfectly cast in this role. What a great role. uh, Coriolanus Snow. Fantastic performance from Tom Blythe here. It's just, and I I did, you know, no prior knowledge of, I might've seen him in some things before, but I wasn't really sure how he would do. Totally blew me away in this film. I think this is one of the best performances of the film. Besides, of course, uh, Rachel Zegler, who is just phenomenal in this film. Un- unbelievable in this yeah. role. Um, again, I think uh, if we're talking about this, one of the things that really falls flat for me throughout the entire Hunger Games series, and I know it's it's hard to believe that I love this film while saying this, but I find uh, Jennifer Lawrence's portrayal of Katniss is as rather flat. I love the story, but you know, I, I think especially having read some of the books, I expected more from that character mm. on screen, and everything that her performance didn't do for me in those first four films, I think Rachel Zegler does brilliantly in in this film. I, I could not think they could have cast a better two main characters in this film. And and, and it's, it's important to point, to point them out as two main characters because their chemistry on the screen is extremely important to this film. And, I mean... Last, last year, you know, RB, I gave The Batman my uh, number one film of the year review. And one of my main reasons was how that film pulled off such a great on-screen romance between Robert uh, Pattinson and, uh, and Catwoman in that film. And I, I think that we have another great on-screen romance here between uh, Snow and Lucy Baird. Or Lucy Gray Baird, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think their relationship is so intriguing from minute one from the belief that we see quite literally that these people the capital believe these people in the district are subhuman they literally throw them in a zoo for display and seeing how he is able to humanize her and that relationship and her relationship too um with with everyone in the capital as if they're not ready to see her killed the way she starts talking to the children when she's in the zoo um, really, really special. Really, really not. There was nothing about the the portrayal that was unbelievable. That's the toughest thing right. in the movie to come out and play something that's extremely outlandish. And in times like these, putting human beings in zoos for display before they are slaughtered, 
I mean, that can't be easy to play just because it's something we've never seen before. And yet it was so believable, so convincing on screen. Yeah, and these these characters were just really well written. I mean, Lucy Gray is one of the coolest character entrances of all time. I mean, and of course, this is coming from Katniss Everdeen entrances, which we had some pretty awesome ones in the in the original Hunger Games films. I think just her, she puts the snake down down that girl's dress, yeah. jumps up yeah. on stage, and then starts singing after she gets punched in the face. Like, what what a great character entrance. That's just great writing, I think, and. It, it just really captures what you need to know about the character, scene one, and you're on board right away. And that's all you can ask. And speaking of RB, I mean, one of the best parts about Rachel Zegler's performance here is the singing. The music in, in her performance is some of the coolest aspects of this character, I think. And it, I gosh, I just, I just thinking about the songs, it just gets me so haunted by this entire story. Like, they did such a great job with the music in this film. Without a doubt. Did you happen to catch her in West Side Story? Did you see oh, yeah. West Side Story? Yeah. Okay. She's awesome okay. in that, too. I was going to say, because she has an incredible voice. Um, oh, yeah. And the fact that they were able to tie that into a Hunger Games film got me right? so juiced. Right? Me, too. I was thinking, it, I, and I knew, because, okay, so when I went to go see this one last weekend, RB had already recommended it to me. He had said, yeah, this is a great one. This is going to be on my list for, you know, best films of the year. He's like, you got to go check this one out. So I was like, all right, I got my ticket. I'm sitting down. And as soon as I could hear, like, Rachel Zegler singing and stuff in this movie, I was like, oh, I get why RB like this. I get why RB like this, because I know that he's he's a, a music junkie when it comes to movies and stuff like this. And this one oh, has a yes. cool, cool sound and vibe. So, yeah, I, I to- totally was thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. I I didn't expect it at all. Yeah, me it, neither. Again, I had heard the soundtrack going in. Mm-hmm. I knew they were going to have her sing. I thought this was going to be, okay, she's going to be, you know, it's her voice singing in the soundtrack in some of these longer scenes, maybe when they're on the train or, you know, before the Hunger Games starts and you just hear it in the background. But to actually have her sing and then give it that musical aspect was extremely powerful, and as well as... You know, them giving the power of song to her. I, I know it ended up kind of being a hoax, but the whole thing, the final sequence with the snakes where, well, no, it's her singing. She's singing and that's soothing the snakes and that's why they're not attacking her and they attack everyone else. Uh, I thought it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many cool elements in this movie. And um, like you said, the return of, of these crazy creatures that we face in the Hunger Games arena. How about uh, well, we get we get kind of the mm-hmm. the start of it that yeah. you know we see all the creatures in the first Hunger Games films. This is kind of the mad scientist. I'm forgetting her name right now, but the the main game maker in this, and she yeah. is the one who is creating. Viola you know, Davis. The, she's as, the first uh, one. Uh, Volunia Gall. Yeah, Doctor Volunia Gall. Yep, Doctor Gall. Uh, what a crazy great character. I was, I was talking to my mom about this one after I watched it. I was like, yeah, Viola Davis was, Davis was awesome in this movie, playing kind of like a, a uh, gosh, how do I want to describe this? Kind of like a Dumbledore character, but like an evil, sick Dumbledore with like some crazy creatures that they've uh, created here of torture. That's fair, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought Viola Davis was awesome. She had some of the most chilling moments in the in the movie. For instance, killing the the uh, Snow's friend—I forget what the girl's mm-hmm. name was—but literally mm-hmm. tossing her to the snakes. Um, yeah. Quite upsetting and un- unsettling. 
there's just some really great moments in, in this uh, from Viola Davis and uh, Peter Dinklage as well. Another Peter Dinklage, cast you know, again, so excited when I saw him on the cast list um, as a huge Game of Thrones fans. Anytime I can see Peter Dinklage, and, and even before that, um, I was a big fan of a, a TV show he was in called Nip Tuck. Um, just anytime I can see Peter Dinklage on screen, he's he's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I don't know that there is a a more deep actor. We've seen so many different roles yeah. he's portrayed. Um, I'm a huge Peter Dinklage fan. Yeah, he, and he was awesome in this one. He gave, I mean, his opening speech where he's he's drinking out of the vial and then he gives this awesome speech. But, I mean, right away, a lot, there's a lot behind his character immediately. And that's, and once again, that's fantastic writing. All the, I feel like this had some of the most well-rounded characters of the Hunger Games films. Um, even more so than... Um, Personally, for me, the weakest movie was the third one um, of the original Hunger Games films. Yeah, and I can I can agree for with me, that. That one didn't have that many memorable characters, and and that was what the best film, which in my opinion is the second one, Catching yep. Fire, introduced so many characters, so many yep. awesome characters, and um, yeah, so that that's kind of like my take on that. But RB, people are going to want to know. Okay, so. I'm not sure if you were aware of this, RB, when the original Hunger Games came out, but it was a very controversial film um, based on its camera style, right? We had, this was, uh, the original Hunger Games was one of those films that was notorious for having a very shaky camera, shaky cam, right? Handheld, almost the entire film. Everything was being shook around. Um, People leaving the theater, not being able to watch the original Hunger Games because it was so shaky, giving people nausea and stuff like that. All, all big controversy back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. It was later fixed, which is why Catching Fire is one of the best. I honestly think Catching Fire is like a ten out of ten movie. Um, yeah, it's, it's I a couldn't great agree film. more with you. Yeah, and and it was because they had fixed the camera work from the original, which was one of the main things that held back the original. Well, I'm glad to say in the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We have some of the best camera work I've seen in in the Hunger Games films, and that's speaking a lot. Um, well, this, I mean, let's let's talk about that because yeah. this, this kind of circles to a point I was going to share about this film. You know, Please, the first yeah. film we have um, it was directed by Gary Ross, and mm-hmm. uh, directed by Gary Ross, and had a had a different cinematographer, Tom Stern, from films two through five, and with that came a new director as well, Francis Lawrence who directed films two through five. And right. I think that's a very, very noticeable change. Um, this film was very much in the vein of films two through five. Film mm-hmm. one is a completely different style of film. And I like the first film. I did not have a problem with the shaky cam. I think it creates some haunting, haunting scenes. The sequences where we see, for example, Katniss's father walking into the mine and the mine collapsing. Right. Um, I, I think it... it, it used well but it it is a very different style of film you can tell the styles are different from two through five but i was curious with this prequel if we were going to go back to francis lawrence or if we were going to tab a new director and i'm so glad they stuck it out with him because i thought it was excellent and the cinematography as well again same cinematographer as films two and five that being a joe willems and i i thought it was great yeah absolutely and just the the cuts that they did in between there were some really great startling sequences. For instance, when they're touring um, the the Hunger Games, what do we want to call it? The arena coliseum. Um, they're mm-hmm. touring the arena before, and they get surprise bombed by rebels. One, uh, 
one that really took me by surprise because I think uh, Snow is talking like mid-sentence and then the explosions go off and that really caught me Yeah, I did not see that one coming, yeah. Yeah, so that was a really arresting sequence. And then just the whole everything falling down, everything um, with uh, Snow falling – I'm sorry – We'll, cut, we'll get back to that reference later, but when, like, the parts of the Colosseum fall down on snow, and then, like, that, uh, like, inner battle that Rachel Zegler's ca- character has um, based on whether or not she should leave and run away or mm-hmm. help him, um, just, like, like, I, like you were saying, RB, there was a lot of uh, moments where the shaky cam did shine through in that original one when chaos was happening, like you were saying, with the dead and everything. I think mm-hmm. that they did a great job in this one bringing that element in where it needed to be the chaotic and like unsettling element whereas we also had really beautiful sequences like we talked about whenever Rachel Zegler was singing or when there was a big heroic moment there was there was a good combo of everything in this that as far as the tones were I think the directing was so top-notch yeah I agree wholeheartedly absolutely so so now I think we've talked about a lot of the big aspects RB let's talk about what this film means what what happens with the story? Um, what, so I just want to know what like what was your big takeaway? I, especially with Act Three. Act Three for me was really a deep, thought provoking ending to the film. I thought. Well, I could not. Uh, well, how do, how do I want to phrase this here? I um, I could not be happier that okay. they chose to cut this film the way they did they very well could have made this two films right um you know like they did with with uh with uh mockingjay which i despised i i you know we had not great no really good momentum in mockingjay Mm -hmm. and then we wait a year and a half until the next film comes out or a year however long it was it was like I was already cold on the film. I, was, I had moved on. And now we have to go back and remember what happened in a quite what was quite frankly a mediocre film mm-hmm. um, to go watch another mediocre film. And they could have definitely done that in this film. And I don't think I would be saying it was a mediocre film because of how well it made it was. But I'm glad they completed the arc. They kept I it going. I am so yeah. happy that they did this. Act 1 and Act 2, all about... The Hunger Games, the development, <laughs> Act 1, what the Hunger Games were, yeah. Act 2, how the Hunger Games became what they were then to what they were come Katniss Everdeen's time and how that evolution was started. Act 3, completely different stylistic movie. Yes, yes. How Coriolanus Snow became President Coriolanus Snow from being a lover, a... Uh, uh, a philosopher, really, you know, someone who believed he could change society to being the primary villain to the districts, how we could make such a stark 180. And I think it is in- incredible, his slow descent into evil. And we just get the tip of the iceberg. And it's amazing. Yeah, and, and one thing I wanted to point out, I love how you broke that down, RB, the different events in this movie. That was awesome. And and I, one thing I wanted to add is remember that they also um, they have the words on screen yeah. part one and I have the titles of each part right here. Yeah, please part do. One, I, the I, I know. I remember the third one. Yeah, part one was the mentor. Um, part two was the prize. Part three was the peacekeeper. 
which are all symbolic meanings in their own of what's going on in the film, which yeah. I thought was awesome. And, um, yeah, I, so here's what I have to say about the overall structure. Since you broke it down so beautifully, RB, like you said, everything about the Hunger Games and what it is, what it was going to become, and what happens during the 10th annual Hunger Games, who's the winner and all of that, happens in Acts 1 and 2. And they are some of the fastest paced. I mean, you can't look away. It, it, there is something going on every second. There is something happening leading into every event. And then Act 3 came around, and I don't know if we're going to disagree here or not, RB. I think you do agree a little bit, but we got a slow, slow Act 3 where things slow down. We take the time to see how these characters evolve and grow, and it, it all starts when Coriolanus gets sent to District 12 to be a peacekeeper. Yeah. And, it's, and then it just becomes this slow, methodical, psychological... Um, deconstruction of what this character is and who he becomes i i loved it i couldn't yeah. couldn't agree more with you like i said it was like watching another movie almost you know with with the setting and how who lucy gray baird became and right the, it felt like a western which i yeah. loved yes i loved exactly. it was like we were watching a western the new sheriff who has a previous relationship with with this outlaw and you yep. know are they going to be able to be together and it, oh my god, I loved it. And the suspense of who's going to who's going to betray who first? Is it going to be yeah. Sejanus? Is he going to get caught and I, I mean, how about one of the most powerful scenes when they when they hang Sejanus and the and the Mockingjays all, you know, he calls out oh for gosh. his mother and as he hangs they they're calling out for his mother. Oh, oh my, a chilling, chilling. Chilling sequence. Chilling. Yeah, some of the some of the most haunting imagery I've ever seen in any of these films was in this film, in this third act here, this part three. Um, and, and like you said, RB, it, it's, it's one of those things where we know what's going to happen, right? We know he's going to become president. Just kind of like, I, I know, RB, this is, a, this is another cut that I think you'll, you'll understand. A lot like Revenge of the Sith, we knew Anakin was going to become yes. Darth Vader. And that's what made that film so awesome, is that they were able to make it just as suspenseful, even though we knew what was going to happen, and just as heartbreaking as well. And I think that they pulled something off just as cool as Revenge of the Sith did here in this film, especially in this third act. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an excellent, excellent analogy. Um, and a, again, it's the we know the what, but it's the how that it's I think how. intrigues the audience. Yeah, totally. And not just saying, here's a person who's evil throughout the entire film, just like Anakin Skywalker. It's a slow burn. It's a descent. Right. And I think even more so in this film than Revenge of the Sith, simply because we see Anakin go turn full-blown into Darth Vader. We, with this, we just get the tip of the iceberg, and I love that. Yeah. We don't get his rise to power. We don't get him stepping on everyone's heads, and we don't need it. We see it happen once, and we say that's, that's the pebble that fell on top of yep. the mountain that's going to become a boulder by the time it picks up everything. And that's yep. all we needed. And that's what's so special about this film is because it didn't leave me wanting more. Because we know what happens. We don't need to be spoon-fed. Okay, and then he poisoned this person to rise into this political stature. And right. then he, we just get those little acts, his betrayal of Tejanus, his his killing of you know his his sleuthy killing of peter dinklage's character right and that's all we need and say that's the start 
and this is how he's going to keep on rising to power. We don't need anything more than what they give us, and I love that. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I just think that this was such a great character study for Snow that I'm, I'm so surprised, RB, at the mixed reviews behind it as we kind of reach the end of our talks here about what's going on. I think we've touched a, 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 a lot of this. I know we can't yeah. talk about every single moment, every single character, because this, this is such a big film. This was a two-and-a-half-hour film uh, that, mm-hmm. that had a lot of uh, stuff to talk about, but... Um, I'm surprised to see mixed reviews on this film, RB. I think it has 65% on Rotten Tomatoes as of right now. This should be in the 80s to 90s, I think, at the very least. Like, it, it's a fantastic film. Like, um, I don't know if we ever touched on our numbers that we would give for this one, RB, but I, I would give this one at least a 9, at least a 9, a must-see film. Yeah, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. I love mm-hmm. this film. This mm-hmm. is, as it stands right now, stay tuned, of course, a little bit of a spoiler for our... Uh, upcoming you know top of the list for 2023 but right now this is my favorite film of 2023 now there are some films this year that i'm really looking forward to that could uh dethrone it uh wonka uh right napoleon uh just to name a few i think Mm -hmm. even though it's already getting reamed i think aquaman could be really good as well i I like the looks of the trailers me too um but right now, this is my favorite film of 2023, and it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Awesome. So go if you, I guess if you guys haven't seen it by now, go check it out. Um, it's definitely worth a watch. RB and I loved, loved, loved Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which even the title, RB, like we were just talking about how meaningful this movie is. I mean, all the examples of the songbird and snakes and like what that meant in the movie is just so cool like the reveal of because i was wondering in this movie i hadn't read the book before um you know what why is it called the ballad of songbirds and snakes and it's a it's twofold that there's literally a songbird in lucy uh lucy gray and there's literally snakes that she almost gets killed by but it's also like about who the people are right there's good people and bad people songbirds and snakes and that's really what the whole crux of their falling out at the end was about too is like the coolest scene in the forest i know i'm i'm going on a tangent now but one of the coolest scenes was in the forest when he's kind of is he hallucinating about lucy gray is he not hallucinating we don't know but kind of that meeting that final meeting they have here in the forest where they kind of are talking about she says i think that people are naturally good and he laughs and he goes oh ah really like she's like no i'm serious i think people are naturally good and he just didn't see it like that at the end of uh seeing all of all the events of this film that was the mm-hmm. dividing factor i think um am i right or wrong or i don't know what no do you think, you're RB? absolutely right you are absolutely <laughs> right i couldn't agree more yeah that, there's just that this ending was so haunting i was thinking about it I, I i have to drive like 45 minutes to go to the theater and um on my on my drive back, I was just thinking about it and thinking about it, how haunting and chilling it was, the progression of this. I, I really enjoyed this movie, RB. I'm so glad you recommended me to go see it. So thanks, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did get to go see it in theaters and didn't have to wait because my guess would be this won't hit streaming for a, for a little while. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad you got a chance to see it. And it'll hopefully be in the mix for uh, your top ten of the list, like oh, I said, or sure. top ten of the year it definitely uh, right now is at the top of my list is one of the best things i've seen this year so there you heard it folks we have a a top of the list entry that is uh gonna end up on the top of the list for rb so 
you guys go and check this one out. And um, you guys can find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We'll have, we have our uh, most recent review of Blue Beetle, which is out on HBO Max, a, a DC film that came out recently that RB and I had to talk about. We gave it a pretty good review. So you guys can go check that out now. It's on the channel. Um, I know RB and I are going to be talking Rick and Morty pretty soon, as well as Ted Lasso. Those are kind of the two TV shows that I have on my uh, top of the list for top of the list. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about movies. I think you touched on Aquaman. You touched on uh, a couple other ones, Wonka coming out soon. Uh, those ones we'll have to discuss as well. We got a, a pretty big backlog that we'll try to work through here as uh, the time goes on. Yeah, and uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Top of the List.